Today I'll be reading from Malachi chapter 2 verse 17 to, through, through to chapter 3 verse 5. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. So I'll come to put you on trial. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud labourers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Thanks, Wes. Morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. My uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, as, uh, as Christian people, we believe that we are God's own people, don't we? We believe that the very creator and ruler of this universe has chosen us and has saved us and has entered into a, in, an incredibly special relationship with us. And so we believe that our God loves us very deeply, that he cares for us every single day, and that he provides us with blessings of every kind. We believe, don't we, that the Lord is our shepherd, and thus we should not be in want. But if that's true, then surely there are times when we wonder to ourselves, why is it? Why is it that the ungodly, and the wicked seem to be the ones who are prospering? Why is it that those who are not God's people, who don't believe in him or care about him, who don't love him or serve him, why do they seem to be doing so well? Why is it that those who actively rebel against the Lord can seem to be more blessed than we are? I mean, think about it for a minute. When we look at this world around us, it seems to be the non-Christians who have everything going for them. They have all the power and the riches. Uh, They have the, the influence and the success and the fame. They're the ones who make it to the top in politics and business, sport and entertainment. They're the ones who, with all the friends and all the fun, with the exotic holidays and the fancy houses and the fast cars... They don't have to care about the rules. They don't have to care about who they hurt along the way. They disrespect whoever they want. They drink as much as they want. They have sex with whoever they want. They lie and cheat and work the system without guilt of any kind. They can be so selfish, self-centred, so self-indulgent, and yet they seem to get away with everything and never have to face the consequences. But yet as Christians, we can seem to face so many struggles in life, can't we? So many of God's people are living in poverty 
or under persecution. We seem to suffer more than our fair share of troubles and adversity, of sickness and of strife. We're called to sacrifice our time and our money, to put other people before ourselves, to live lives of humility and of self-restraint. We strive hard to do the right thing, but yet we're often disadvantaged as a result, and we miss out on so much. And on top of all that, we can be ridiculed, and we can be scorned for our faith, discriminated against because we put our trust in Jesus. And woe betide the Christian who rises to the top of their field, for they will be targeted and scrutinised in order to bring them down. And when we stop and think about these things, we can wonder, why is it so? Surely, if we're God's people, then, then shouldn't we be the ones who have everything going for us? Shouldn't we be the ones who are successful and prosperous, happy and healthy, who have the best lives in this world? But yet, it can almost seem as though God cares more for those who have no interest in him who despise him and live in defiance against him. It can almost seem as though he blesses them more than he does us. And so there's times when we cannot help but wonder if God really loves us and if he's really fair. There are times when we cannot help but wonder, when will God's justice be done? Well, my friends, if you've ever had thoughts like these, then you're in good company. In Job chapter 21, just after this righteous man had lost everything he had, he said this, Why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? They see their children established around them, their offspring, uh, offspring before their eyes. Their homes are safe and free from fear. The rod of God is not on them. They spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? And in Psalm 73, Asaph says this, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing their wealth. And you know, my friends, we see the very same sentiment here in our text for today. In Malachi 2, verse 17 through to 3, verse 5, and I'd, I'd urge you to keep that open in front of you today. For while the Israelites had returned to the promised land, and they had rebuilt their beloved temple. Things were far from perfect. They could see the power and the prosperity of the nations around them, while their own lives were filled with disappointment and struggle. And so they were wondering, why is it so? They questioned God and his love and his blessings. And in fact, they'd done that so much that God was just sick and tired of them. For Malachi 2 verse 17 begins, You have wearied the Lord with your words. He was worn out from their constant complaints, but yet they couldn't see it for themselves. How have we wearied him, you ask? 
Well, Malachi tells them very clearly. You've wearied the Lord, he says, by saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he is pleased with them. They assessed the state of the society around them and they concluded that God, God was happier with those who despised him and he blessed them instead of his own people. But then they went further and they questioned the very character of the Lord. For they also asked, where is the God of justice? They thought, how can he be the righteous and fair God that he claims to be when he seems to give everything good to the ungodly while we have nothing but trouble? They were cynically questioning, why do the wicked prosper? They were impatiently asking, when will justice be done? But as we know from earlier passages in this series, the Lord does not hesitate to answer their questions. And he does so in no uncertain terms. In chapter 3 from verse 1 to 5, we find his response. The Lord begins here by saying, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Here he reveals to Israel that he will indeed come to impart justice. But the first step in that process will be the sending of a messenger, a prophet who will prepare the way. And who is he talking about? Well, this very verse is quoted three times in the New Testament. In Matthew 11, Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 7. And these passages make it abundantly clear that the Lord is speaking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the messenger who was sent with that very special task of preparing the way for the Lord. Mark chapter 1 says, This was John the Baptist's message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. But then our passage goes on. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Now this, this must have been a bit mysterious to the people of Malachi's day. For the Lord says that after that first messenger prepares the way, then he himself will come to his people. But he also speaks as though the one to come is somehow different to himself. For he will also be a messenger who speaks on behalf of the Lord. And he will be the one that they are desiring, the promised Messiah. But of course, we can understand this today, can't we? Because we know that the Lord was coming to his people in the person of Jesus Christ that the promised Messiah would be his own divine and beloved son. He was the one who would bring about God's justice. For as John the Baptist declares in Matthew chapter 3, he says his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. But this raises an interesting issue for us this morning. 
For while it is true that John the Baptist prepared the way and that Jesus soon followed, can we really say that Jesus came to bring justice into this world? Well, the answer to that is no, at least not yet. You see, when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he came to bring God's love and his grace and his salvation. But justice would not yet be done. Even John the Baptist himself was confused, asking in Luke chapter 7, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And that's why still today, my friends, even though Jesus has already been, we still see God's people suffering and we still see the wicked prosper. But what we need to understand is that when Jesus came, he made it abundantly clear that this was only a preliminary visit. He made it abundantly clear that he would be with us for only a short time, just long enough to fulfill his mission and to give his life for our sin. And he made it abundantly clear that he was going to come again. And my friends, it's when he comes again that justice is going to be done. Because he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Listen to what Jesus himself said to us in Matthew chapter 25. He said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil." and his angels. Ah, oh, my friends, this, this is what the Lord is speaking about in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. The people wanted to know when there would be justice, and the Lord tells them it's going to come. It's going to come on that final day when Jesus returns. He will come suddenly, like a thief in the night, and he will come to his temple, as God's dwelling will finally be again with his people. And so as we look at this world around us, we may well wonder why the ungodly have it so good, while Christians can so often struggle. But let's remember that the Lord has not rejected us, and he has not forgotten us. Let us remember that the messenger has come and prepared the way for our Saviour. And let us remember that Jesus is coming back, his day of justice is approaching when he will make everything right. But notice that our text does not finish there. For the Lord asks his people another question, a far more important question. In verse 2 he says, But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? You see, it's one thing to long for the day of God's justice, but, but what we really need to be asking ourselves is, 
is are we prepared? Are we ready for that day? You see, the Israelites assumed that they were right with God and that it was all those other nations who needed to fear the day of judgment. And we can think that way too. We can think we're okay just because we come to church, just because we call ourselves Christians, just because we live a a decent life. And it's the real sinners out there. They're the ones who should watch out. But God warns us that on that day, every single person will stand before his throne. Every person will meet their maker. And when we do, something of grave and eternal significance is going to take place. Verse 2 continues, For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. You see, when precious metals are are extracted out of the ground, they don't come out pure, do they? Rather, the ore is, is mixed with other materials, useless materials, sometimes called slag. And so to make that metal pure, it must be refined by fire. It is heated to extreme temperatures until it becomes liquid and the gold or the silver can be separated from the rubbish. Well, that's what's going to happen on the day of judgment. It'll be a day of separation. For the Lord Jesus will not come like a consuming fire that destroys everything, but like a refining fire that separates the precious metal from the slag, the good from the bad, the holy from the unholy. And the ore that he is going to refine is the entire human race, the living and the dead. And that includes the Levites, the most holy of God's people. But it also includes the church, every single one of us. It also says here that he will be like a launderer's soap. Soap is that agent that separates the dirt from the clothes until the clothes are clean. Well, the Lord will be like that soap on the day that he comes, separating the clean from the dirty. Or think of those other passages I mentioned earlier. In Matthew 3, Jesus will have his winnowing fork in his hand, separating the wheat from the chaff. Or Matthew chapter 25, he'll be like a shepherd, separating the sheep from the goats. And this great separation, Malachi tells us, will result in two things. First, it says, then the, Lord, then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. You see, on the one hand, there's going to be those who are purified by the refiner's fire. Their imperfections will be burned up, their sins will be washed away, They'll be made completely holy and righteous. Like pure silver, they will be able to perfectly reflect the image of their creator again. They will finally be fit for the presence of the Lord Almighty. But on the other hand, there'll be those who are not. For in Malachi 3 verse 5, our passage concludes like this. So I will come to put you on trial 
I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud labourers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice and do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. My friends, when Jesus returns, not everyone will be purified. Not everyone will be allowed to enter eternal glory. For some will be like the slag, the dirt, the chaff, the goats. The Lord will put them on trial and testify against them because of these terrible sins they've committed. And they will receive the punishment they rightly deserve. But that then leads us back to that most important question of all, doesn't it? That who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? My friends, when that day of judgment arrives, who is going to be purified and who is going to be punished? Well, the answer is right here in our text. For my friends, those who are saved are not those who are better than others, not those who are more moral or respectable or religious than the rest. And quite frankly, if you're here today and that's what you're depending on, your own virtue and your own good works, well then you, my friend, have an enormous problem. Because no one, no one can earn God's favour. No one deserves to enter his kingdom. No, my friends, those who are saved are those who realise their own inability, their own failures, their own wickedness, They're the ones who come to the Lord in humility, confessing their sins before him. They're the ones who don't trust in themselves or anything they do, but trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. They're the ones who cling to him desperately as the only way to be forgiven and the only way to be made holy in God's sight. And my friends, they're the ones who, when they fail, they come back to that cross again and they seek a new start with God. For my friends, Jesus is the one sent by God to suffer and die in our place, to remove all of our guilt and our shame. And so as verse 4 tells us, those who are purified are those who bring an acceptable offering and the only acceptable offering is the, blood, is the blood of the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But who then will go to eternal punishment? Is it only those who've committed those, those worst kind of sins? Well, no. It's those who've committed any kind of sin, but yet didn't care. They're the ones who are not sorry for their evil ways, nor do they seek the Lord's forgiveness. They're the ones who reject his, his amazing offer of salvation through the, through the gracious gift of his own son. They're the ones who have no time for God. Or as verse 5 concludes, who do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Ah, oh, my friends, the day of judgment is approaching. Of that you can be certain. And on that day, some will be purified and the rest will be punished. 
But the difference, my friends, is not how good and upright and hard-working we might think we are. No, the difference is how we respond to the Lord in our own heart. Do you fear Him or do you despise Him? Do you love Him or do you hate Him? Do you trust Him or do you reject Him? Do you serve Him or do you ignore Him? For my friends, only those who come to the Lord in, in deep humility, repenting and trusting in Christ, they are the ones who will be saved. And so I want to ask you this morning, have you done that? Have you repented of your sin? Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone? Oh, I truly hope that you have. Or perhaps you're just realising this for the very first time. Well, then I urge you to ask God to forgive you today and to cling to Jesus Christ as your Saviour and your Lord. For my friends, when we do that, when we do that, then we can look forward to that day with confidence, knowing that we're covered by His blood, that we are redeemed by His grace, that we are safe in His glorious love. But more than that, we can also look forward to that day knowing that God's justice is going to be done. If you sometimes feel like the wicked prosper while God's people suffer, if you feel like those who do evil are, are, are more blessed than we are, then remember, remember that while the Lord is patient for a time, giving everyone the opportunity to turn back to him, that when Jesus returns, he will then set everything straight. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Oh, my friends, let's not weary the Lord with our questions and our complaining, but instead let us trust Him. Let us trust Him with all of our hearts, because He is a faithful God who always keeps His promises. He has promised to carry us through all the ups and downs of life, to love us and to sustain us no matter how hard things might get. And he has promised that the day is soon coming when he will make everything new, when he will make everything right, when his perfect justice will be done. Let's pray. Our dear Lord God and loving Heavenly Father, we know that, that just like the Israelites, we sometimes wonder why our lives can be so difficult, while non-Christians seem to have everything going for them. But Father, we want to pray, please help us at those times to remember that you are still in control and to remember that Jesus is coming and that when he does, true and eternal justice will be done. But Lord, we also ask you to help every one of us to be ready for that day. Lord, please help us to look 
to that day, not with fear, but with assurance, and only because our hope is in Jesus Christ. Father, make us humble. Father, please give us faith. Father, please hold us close to yourself until that time when you will purify us and our faith will be sight. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.